Um, okay, we will start talking about Marvell. Then for, um, I don't know, this should be a 10-minute quiz exam. I mean, it's, it's a quiz-am. It counts as an exam, but it's the length of a quiz. So um, it should be 10 minutes, which means that it really shouldn't take you more than 20, which means that uh, I'll give you um, 40. So you can just leave when you're done. But don't feel embarrassed if you leave after 10 minutes, because that's really all it should take. Um, and just so you know, yes, it'll be curved. Um, there are 13 questions. I just wanted to give you something lucky. Uh, yes, it will be curved. Um, yes, the curve will consist of my throwing out um, some, some, some outrider who gets everything right. That won't just be the... Um, uh, the two outriders, top and bottom, will be thrown out before the curve is done. So um, panic if you must, but don't panic if you can avoid panicking. Um, Marvell, isn't he great? He's marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, eh? Seriously, eh? Oh no, why? He's so generic. He's such an Eric. So generic. Oh, so generic. Oh, that is just as wrong as can be. Well, maybe it's as right as can be. Maybe it's both. Um, generic in what sense? It just, none of, nothing about his poetry stood out to me as particularly special or interesting. It was just kind of there as like, oh, look, I am reading poetry. <sighs> but what could be better than reading poetry? <laughs> um, okay, what are those who thought he was marvelous? Suze. Good. Defend that. It's green, soft, green thoughts and a green shade. Green thoughts and a green shade. What more could you want? Um, okay, look, let's, I, I want us to look at a couple of um, uh, signatures of um, the kind of poetry Marvell writes. So let's look just for a minute at the excerpt from Upon Appleton House, which. Um, starts at um, page 664. Um, I'm, not, I'm sorry, poem 664, page 596. Um, what poem by what poet is this a kind of um, tip of the Marvellian cap to? Where have we seen a similar poem? All right. People who studied. To Penshurst by... Tony, you had your hand up. Uh, Who would you say? Johnson. Which Johnson? Johnson? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, the only Johnson we did, but still. <laughs> you know, I, th I think if you know the, it, here's, a, here's a hint for the rest of your life. If, if you don't know the answer to a question about the name of someone, what you should always do is put, quote, magic, unquote, Johnson. And then if you're lucky and the guy's name is Johnson, you can say, see, and I was just referring to Magic Johnson just as a little graceful act there. Um, so that'll be good. Yeah, Ben Johnson, not Lyndon Johnson. Not, sorry, not Andrew Johnson, no, Ben Johnson. Okay, um, so yeah, um, Appleton House belonged to Lord Fairfax, who was a general on the parliamentary side of the Civil War. Um, the Civil War is what Milton was involved with, Marvell also. Um, Marvell was all for Cromwell and the revolutionaries who got rid of Charles I until Charles II 
Um, Charles I's son became king, at which point Marvell was all for the restoration of Charles II. Um, he was a member of parliament, and he was very good politically. Um, and um, he was also a friend and admirer of Milton's, and probably, or certainly saved Milton from prison, may have saved Milton from execution. Um, but a lot of his great poems are poems written during what's called the Interregnum, um, upon Appleton House is one of them. Um, and what Marvell, what he's, it is not wrong to think of him, I said this I think the first day of class, as being um, what he's often called, which is the prince of minor poets, um, the greatest minor poet who ever lived, which may seem like a contradiction in terms, um, both minor and great. Um, but on the other hand, um, that's what makes him great, is that he can be great as a minor poet, that his ambitions are not the ambitions of someone like Milton, who is the most ambitious, probably the most ambitious poet um, ever, um, certainly the most ambitious poet in England, um, more ambitious than Homer, more ambitious than Virgil, I would think, not perhaps as great as Homer or Virgil, but um, his ambitions are things unattempted yet in prose or rhyme. Um, the whole creation of the world, the fall of humanity, the, um, the salvation of us all. But poets like Surrey and Wyatt are also extremely ambitious. Um, their ambitions are, you could say, private. Um, their ambitions are to plumb um, the depths of love in hope or in despair. Um, you don't get that in Marvell. What you get in Marvell is someone who um, prefers pleasure in poetry to other things. Um, and poetry is always about pleasure. If it doesn't give pleasure, to quote Wallace Stevens, um, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, no matter how um, sad the poems are about, no matter how grim, no matter how <coughs> lofty, no matter how sublime, um, the point of, of poetry, the point of any art, is pleasure. It may have other points, but without pleasure it's not an art. So Marvell just gets rid of all the other stuff. Um, not always, and not in all of his poems, certainly not in the Horatian Ode to Cromwell returning from Ireland. Um, but in the poems that he is um, most famous for, um, and he writes about pleasure. So if you look at something like Upon Appleton House, I just want to point out um, one typical moment. Um, this is on the second page of it around line, eh, let's start um, at the top of the page. Um, he's talking about the flowers. These as their governor goes by, that is Fairfax himself, these as their governor goes by in fragrant volleys they let fly, that is, they let um, the odors fly. Remember that he's comparing um, Fairfax, um, Appleton House, Fairfax's land, to the army um, and to the order of battle that he had been commanding before he retired. Um, and to salute their governess, again, as great a charge they press, none for the virgin nymph, for she seems with the flowers of flower to be, and think so still, though not compare with breath so sweet or cheek so fair. Um, that is, her breath is sweeter, her cheek fairer than those of the flowers. And so to the flowers he then says, well shot, ye firemen. Oh, how sweet and round your equal fires to meet. 
whose shrill report no ear can tell but echoes to the eye and smell. So they shoot their volleys of fragrance, but we don't hear it. Um, we hear the echoes in the eye and the smell. And then this is what I wanted to point you to. See how the flowers, as at parade, under their colors stand displayed. Each regiment in order grows that of the tulip, pink, and rose. So what does that mean? How are the flowers displayed under their colors as at a parade? What does colors mean there? I wonder if there's a note on that. Um, you never know what they're going to note. Yeah, what is what? Well, aren't there like special uniforms soldiers would wear for a parade that were like more colorful? Well, so if you went to elementary to public elementary school, you might have had the good fortune of being a color guard. Is this anything familiar to people? Yeah. So what's a color guard? They're like the people who um, like practice with the flags. Yes. So what are the colors then? The flag. Yeah. So it's that they are, just, they are showing their own flags. Um, their pennants are flags. Um, so color here, it's like the bumper stickers, these colors don't run. Um, colors here means um, the flag that, um, that regiments would have their own colors, their own regimental banners. So it's like uniforms, but it's actually pennants or banners. Um, so that's the, that, that's the conceit here. That is that the flowers are standing in rows as though at a parade because he's a general. Uh, they're standing in rows, displaying themselves under their colors. Um, but what are the colors when you talk about flowers? Petals. Yeah, the colors of the flowers themselves. So Marvell has this typical way, and this is a really good example, of delicately separating but not separating things from themselves things from their own appearances. Um, and it's, it's just a beautiful touch that he has and that he does um, over and over again. Um, take a look at The Garden, which uh, may be his most famous poem. And then I'll, I want us to look at, um, um, the, uh, sorry, at Damon the Mower. But look at The Garden. Um, how vainly men themselves amaze. This maybe to his coy mistress might be as famous, but at any rate, how vainly men themselves amaze to win the palm, the oak, or bays. So what are palm, oak, and bays? Trees. Trees, yeah, but why do men want to win the palm or the oak? Or the yeah, they're, they're, they're medals or they're rewards for um, primacy in various fields. Um, so, uh, you know, like the palm d'or at Cannes, um, that's winning the palm. Um, it's one kind of praise. The oak is for military valor. I think the palm is for athletic valor. And the bays are laurel. That's for poetic um, preeminence. So how vainly men themselves amazed to win the palm, the oak, the bay, or bays. And their uncessant labors see crowned from some single herb or tree, that is, they get either the palm or the oak or the bays, crowned from some single herb or tree, whose short and narrow virgin shade does prudently their toils upbraid. Um, what does that mean? The shade of whatever they win, palm, oak, or bays, is a lot of shade or not? Small shade. Small shade. Yeah, just. It's okay to look at the words. 
um, whose short and narrow verged shade does prudently their toils upbraid. So what does it mean to upbraid their toils? Anger? Um, well, upbraid, you mean to show anger. Yeah, it means to chastise, is, is, um, which can have an element of anger, but mainly it means to chastise. Prudently there means something like without much of a fuss, um, without much excess. Abrades their toils. You worked so hard, and this narrow shade now chastises all the work you've done. Why? How? What's, what's the logic there? Yeah, look what you've gotten. You've gotten this little bit of shade. That's why men vainly <coughs> amaze themselves. Amaze there is, our word would be dismay. Amaze literally means, or, or originally means to put, to make you feel like you're lost, to make you feel bewildered. Bewildered actually might be a perfect synonym for the older meaning of amaze. Um, it's, it's um, I don't know where I am. I'm in amaze. I'm amazed. Um, so... Um, men bewilder themselves vainly. Why? To win the palm, the oak, or bays. To get the prize. Whoever dies with the most toys wins, as the other bumper sticker says. And their incessant labor see crowned with some single herb or tree whose short and narrow virgin shade does prudently their toils upbraid. So here's what you get for all your toils, this little shade. While all flowers and all trees do close to weave the garlands of repose. So those who get a lot more than an oak, a palm, or a bay are those who don't work to win everything, but just go hang out in the garden where you'll have all flowers and all trees closing together to weave the garlands of repose. Fair quiet, so here he is in a garden, fair quiet, have I found thee here, and innocence thy sister dear? Mistaken long, I sought you then, that is once, in busy companies of men. Your sacred plants, that is, the plants of quiet and of innocence, not of military or poetic or athletic might, your sacred plants, if here below, only among the plants will grow. So what's happened? Just... Um, Talk to me in terms of um, figurative and literal language. What are the sacred plants? Yeah. So figuratively, the plants of innocence and quiet would be like the good things that you can't really get out in society, just innocence and quiet. Uh -huh. um, and literally, he's going back to like the garden. Like If you just sit here and be quiet, that's all you need. Yeah, the metaphorical becomes the literal. I should say, by the way, before I forget that, um, how many, remind me again how many are coming to the makeup class on Wednesday morning at 9? Um, okay, so we will meet here at 9, and um, you guys can decide whether you want to do more Marvell or want to go back to Milton, but we'll meet here from 9 to 10 on Wednesday morning. Um, okay, so um, where you find these metaphorical plants, whatever the equivalent for the bays, the oak, the palm, would be for innocence and quiet. Those metaphorical plants can only be found among the plants. So notice that the metaphor is kind of um, like a Klein bottle. It's, it's, it's curving back into the literal. You want, these you want innocence and repose? 
Well, the symbols of innocence and repose can be found among the plants that they are, in fact, symbols of. So there's a kind of wonderful landing, you could say, away from the metaphorical into the actual um, that, that Marvell is, does over and over again. No white nor red was ever seen so amorous as this lovely green. So white and red, no color of white or red was ever as, as loving, lovely as this lovely green. Why white or red? Why is he contrast? Sorry? The colors of the uniform, like the military uniform? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, different war, different civil war. The War of the Roses is long over, but nice, nice. Yeah, Tony. I was going to say War of the Roses. Yeah, no, yeah. It could be like flesh. Yes, yes. Um, he's, he's, um, for the same reason the carnations are white and red, um, is that they look like Caucasian skin. Um, so no white, no red was ever seen so amorous as this lovely green. Um, he's saying, well, the color of love, it's really... White and red might remind you of this kind of absolute beauty, but it's the green that's really wonderful. Fond lovers, cruel as their flame, cut in these trees their mistress' name. So he's walking through the garden, and he sees just various names cut into the trees, and he thinks that's terrible. Little alas, they know or heed how far these beauties hers exceed. So the trees that they're cutting their mistress's names in are more beautiful than the mistresses whose names are being cut into the trees. Fair trees, wheresoe'er your barks I wound, no name shall but your own be found. So if he were to start moon, you know, kind of mooning and saying, oh, it's so beautiful, he'd just, into an elm, he would go, elm. <laughs> um, and then he would just think, oh, elm. But the elm would be right there. So again, that difference, the distance that metaphor and figurative language always imply, z metaphors or, yeah, always imply z. Um, you're not getting it here. It's the same way that the colors, the flowers stand under the colors that they actually are. In the same way, these plants are found among the plants. Um, the names of the trees um, is what he carves into the trees. Um, when we have run our passion's heat Love hither makes his best retreat. So after a life spent going after um, people that you're in love with, infatuated with, that your love is unrequited for, actually just go to the garden. When we have run our passion's heat, love hither makes his best retreat. The gods that mortal beauty chase still in a tree did end their race. So what's he referring to here? Yeah, Apollo chasing Daphne, Pan chasing Syrinx. So um, what happens um, in the Metamorphoses, for example, when Apollo changes Daphne, what does she turn into? Into a laurel tree, yeah. Um, what does Syrinx turn into? A reed. Yeah, so there are stories, uh, many stories. Spencer really likes these stories of the origin of plants, the origin of various species of plants. Um, the myrrh tree, for example, was um, the, the mythological character Mira is chased by her father who wants to kill her for creepy reasons. Um, but the gods take pity on her and turn her into the myrrh tree. 
um, from which she gives birth actually to Adonis. Um, the lots of metamorphic metam uh, mythology is about the humans turning into trees, and in Ovid it's frequently because they're being pursued by gods, and this is how they're saved. So Marvell changes this. So the idea is not the gods that mortal beauty chased still in a tree did end their race. Apollo hunted Daphne so only that she might laurel grow, and Pan did after searing speed, not as a nymph, but for a reed. So that Apollo wasn't after Daphne as a person, he wanted Laurel. And so, again, it's not that the metamorphosis is a kind of making metaphorical of a human being. It's actually, here's the thing itself, the Laurel. Here's the thing itself, the reeds that Pan then plays the panpipes on. Um, that's what they really wanted. The thing that the metamorphosis turned into and not the thing that it was in standard mythology and escaped from. What wondrous life is this I lead? Ripe apples drop about my head. What apples are these not in this garden? What garden isn't this? Yeah, it's so much not Eden. This is a garden where there are apples everywhere, and it's great. What wondrous life is this I lead? Ripe apples drop about my head the lus luscious clusters of the vine upon my mouth do crush their wine. Just listen to how beautiful that assonance is. The luscious clusters crush their wine. The nectarine and curious peach into my hands themselves do reach, stumbling on melons as I pass. Ensnared with flowers, I fall on grass. Um, meanwhile, the mind from pleasures less probably means from lesser pleasures, from pleasures that are not as great as what it's about to do. Meanwhile, the mind from pleasures less withdraws into its happiness. The mind, that ocean, where each kind does straight its own resemblance find. So, in, so the idea is that everything in the world finds an echo in the mind. The reason we can recognize things in the world is that we have um, prototypes of them in our minds. So that mind is an ocean where each kind does straight its own resemblance. Find it. it used to be believed that there was a one-to-one -one correspondence between things on land and corresponding things in the ocean. Um, and that's what Marvell is alluding to. Yet it creates, the mind creates, transcending these far other worlds and other seas. So the mind is... Um, an ocean, but in the ocean of the mind, there are other worlds with other kinds in it and other seas that find their resemblance in that. So the mind becomes an ocean containing things and their resemblances within, within the sea itself. Annihilating, famous couplet, annihilating all that's made to a green thought in a green shade. So the mind here among this amorous green annihilates all that's made to a green thought in a green shade. Here at the fountain's sliding foot or at some fruit tree's mossy root, casting the body's vest aside, my soul into the boughs does glide. There like a bird it sits and sings, then wets and combs its silver wings. 
until prepared for longer flight, waves in its plumes the various light. So it's not that his soul is really doing that. It's he's imagining it, he's looking at the birds, and he's just feeling that what he's seeing is what he has and what he is. So then the little sexist moment, such was the hap that happy garden state, while man there walked without a mate. But again, he's talking about recovery from love. That is, this is where to go. Um, when you're in love with someone, it's painful. But when you just hang out in the garden and just hang out, that's great. And that's what the Garden of Eden was like before Eve was created. Such was that happy garden state, while man there walked without a mate. After a place so pure and sweet, what other help could yet be meet? What's the reference there? What other help could yet be meet? Why? Yeah, and do you know what the line is in Genesis in the King James Version? Help meet. Yes, I will make a help meet for him or a help meet for him. No one's quite sure. Um, so what other help could yet be meet? Why would he need anything else? But twas beyond a mortal's share to wander solitary there. So no mortal could have that. Um, that was too much for any mortal. Two paradises twere in one to live in paradise alone. That would be double paradise. So yeah, as I said, that's a little sexist moment. How well the skillful, skillful gardener drew of flowers and herbs this dial knew. So in the garden, there's a sundial made of flowers and herbs, where from above the milder sun does through a fragrant zodiac run. So the sun shines on um, the all the plant um, symbols of the time. And as it works, the industrious bee computes its time as well as we. So the bee knows what time of day it, it is also going from flower to flower, always staying in the flowers in the sunlight. How could such sweet and wholesome hours be reckoned but with herbs and flowers? Um, so generally what time, the reason we have clocks, the reason we have calendars, is to see where we are in some natural cycle. But here the natural cycle is timing itself. We don't have to do that circuit outside into something different from the thing being talked about, whether a clock or a metaphor or a flag, something that's separate from what it indicates, something that in a theory class you will have been taught is known as the arbitrary nature of the sign. In Marvell, things are always in a strange and wonderful way, their own images. Um, if you look at the next poem on a drop of dew, um, let's just look at the first few lines, and then I do want us to look at Damon the Mower before um, the quizam, the tiz, twiz, tiz. Um, on a drop of dew, see how the Orient dew shed from the bosom of the morn into the blowing roses, yet careless of its mansion new, for the clear re region where twas born, round in itself encloses. So the drop of dew is reflecting the world in which it is, and enclosing that world within itself. And in its little globe's extent, frames as it can, its native element, 
How it the purple flower does slight, scarce touching where it lies, but gazing back upon the skies shines with a mournful light like its own tear. So the drop of dew is um, reflecting the sky from which it comes, barely touching the flower onto which it's fallen, um, but somehow enclosing what it has lost, and then shines like its own tear. So again, that's like the flowers standing on their, under their own colors, like the gods going after Daphne and Syrinx, not for a person, but for the tree. Not in order to get the woman, but in order to get the thing that's supposed to symbolize her, but is the thing itself. So Marvell is always turning what looks like a separate index, a separate symbol or representation of a thing into a representation of itself, into the thing itself. And so here the drop of dew is like its own tear. Um, it's not that the drop of dew cries and, and that tear says something about the drop of dew. The drop of dew is itself, is like its own tear. Um, let's just look once more, I quoted this for you before, of the, of the mower poems. Um, they're all great. And as I say, we'll, we can look at more of these on Wednesday. Um, but look at uh, the poem called Dame and the Mower, which is page 607. Um, and what you have to think or realize with respect to this is that Damon um, the Mower is not a shepherd. Um, we've read lots of poems about shepherds, including Ye Goat Herd Gods and so on. Um, shepherds take care of wool and of mutton. So what they have is, is very substantial. Mowers, all they do is cut grass. Um, the next poem, um, the, uh, the song of, um, the mower's song, um, is all about what his loved one does to the grass, does, I'm sorry, what he does to the grass, his loved one, that is Juliana, um, does to him. Um, but here, hark how the mower Damon sung with love of Juliana stung while everything did seem to paint the scene more fit for his complaint. So he's in the perfect place to complain about where he is. Like her fair eyes, the day was fair, but scorching like his amorous care. So this is almost a, a very light touch joke on a metaphysical conceit. Um, so, like her fair eyes, the day was fair, but scorching like his amorous care. Sharp like his scythe, his sorrow was, and withered like his hopes, the grass. Helium. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of Eric. Yes, especially with, with um, Julia and Juliana. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the same, just absolute gorgeousness of touch. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. But it's the garden. Well, there is the poem called The Mower Against Gardens, which is against gardens. But it's still about gardens. So here's what Damon sung. Oh, what unusual heats are here, while thus our sunburned meadows sear. 
The grasshopper its pipe gives o'er, and hamstringed frogs can dance no more. But in the brook, the green frog wades, and grasshoppers seek out the shades. Only the snake that kept within now glitters in its second skin. So you can get a sense of how hot a day it is. This heat the sun could never raise, nor dog star so inflame the days. It from an higher beauty growth, which burns the fields and mower both, which mads the dog and makes the sun hotter than his own phaeton. Not July causeth these extremes, but Juliana's scorching beams. Tell me where I may pass the fires of the hot day or hot desires. To what cool cave shall I descend or to what gelid fountain bend? Alas, I look for ease in vain when remedies themselves complain. So again, there's that um, kind of telescoping. The remedies are now complaining. Do you see how that's like the gods chasing the trees, not the women, but the trees the women turn into, or how it's like the flowers standing under their own colors? It's the same cast of thought in Marvell. The remedies themselves complain. No moisture, but my tears do rest. No cold, but in her icy breast. That is, there's no moisture left in this torrid climate except my own tears. Nothing cool or cold anywhere except Juliana's icy breast. How long wilt thou, fair shepherdess, esteem me and my presence less? To thee the harmless snake I bring, disarmed of its teeth and sting. Quite the gifts. To thee chameleons changing hue and oak leaves tipped with honeydew. Yet thou, ungrateful, hast not sought, nor what they are, nor who them brought. Now notice again that what he's giving her are not symbolic. They're little gifts. They're the kind of gifts that a very simple person would give. Um, snakes and chameleons. Yay! How could you not, how could she not immediately say, yes, I must have you? After all, here's a snake. Um, but, the, but it's really important that what he's giving her are not symbols. These are things that could look symbolic, but they're not. And what matters is it's as though they're de-symbolized in just the same way, except that this would sound like a symbol, the snake is disarmed of its teeth and sting. So are these apparently symbolic things disarmed of what makes them symbolic. I, and then this great, I am the mower daemon, known. So this is, a, this is sort of um, the topos of boasting. That is when the hero says, I am, um, I am Achilles known for the thousands of men that I have slain. Or I am, I am Paul Bunyan known for all the great canyons that I have dug. But here's the mower daemon. I am the mower daemon known through all the meadows I have mown. So again, it's just amazingly, deflating's the wrong word, but just a sort of triumph of modesty. Um, a triumph of the here and now, you could call it. On me the morn her dew distills before her darling daffodils. And if at noon my toil me heat, the sun himself licks off my sweat. While going home, the evening sweet in cowslip water bathes my feet. 
What though the piping shepherds stock the plains with an unnumbered flock? Since Julianne is a shepherdess, she might be interested in the shepherd who's got all these, um, all these sheep filling the plains with, his, with an unnumbered flock of sheep. So what? This scythe of mine discovers wide more ground than all his sheep do hide. So I cut down more grass than he can cover with sheep. Now this is really not comparing apples and oranges. This is comparing grass with sheep. Um, it's a completely unapt um, comparison. But it doesn't matter because, in a sense, what's happening here is just um, a pure reduction to, look what I can do. Look at all this grass. With this, the golden fleece I shear of all these closes every year, and though in wool more poor than they, yet am I richer far in hay. Um, so less wool, more hay. But of course, wool is worth a lot more than hay. But that means, and this is again typical of Marvell. I'm sorry to be going through this so quickly, but it's just um, uh, worth at least getting a first approximation of. Um, because wool is worth more than hay, it's much easier to be rich in hay than in wool. And ease is the point. So there's a kind of take it up a level. And what you could say is that the mower daemon is richer in ease than the shepherds are. So the shepherds have more wool. Daemon has much more hay than they do wool. That's what the word far means. Um, if you were bringing this to market, you would want to be bringing wool to market rather than hay to market because you get a lot more money for wool than for hay. Um, but it's so pleasant and easy to be rich in hay that he's richer in ease than the shepherds are. And that's what this image gives you. Do you feel how that works? Again, it's Marvell, you kind of got to get used to. Um, but, but it's a typical and beautiful image. And also an image of why being a minor poet is also where perfection can lie. Um, who's rich in wool? Well, Milton, who wrote Lycidas, which we didn't talk about. Um, the, the pastoral poem spoken by a shepherd um, whose shepherd friend has died. But, and though in wool more poor than they, yet am I richer far in hay. Nor am I so deformed to sight if in my scythe I look at right. So he sees his, he looks into the metal of his scythe to see what he looks like. He doesn't have a mirror. Um, he says, eh, I kind of look okay. Um, in which I see my picture done as in a crescent moon, the sun. So he sees himself reflected in the, in the curve of the scythe, the way the sun is reflected in the crescent moon. The deathless fairies take me oft to lead them in their dances soft. And when I tune myself to sing about me, they contract their ring. How happy might I still have mowed had not love here his thistles sowed. So that darn love. Now we get allegory. But now I all the day complain, joining my labor to my pain, and with my scythe cut down the grass, yet still my grief is where it was. 
but when the iron blunter grows, sighing, I wet my scythe and woes. So I cut grass, but my grief stays up. Alas, my sorrow springs. Who's that? Uh-oh. The suit to season. Sorry, yes. So 13 and a half lines of what a beautiful day it is. But then at the end, alas, my sorrow springs. Here he cuts down all the grass, but alas, his grief is where it was. But when the iron blunter grows, when he can't cut grass anymore because he's got to sharpen it, sighing, I wet my scythe and woes. That is, he sharpens both the scythe and his woes. Um, this is called, rhetorically, just so you know, it's called a zoigma. When you use one verb with two different direct objects, Z-E-U-G-M-A, um, it's usually um, powerfully, it, it, it's a really powerful and neat rhetorical trope. Um, there was a moment when uh, someone was attacking Disraeli, um, who is just great with rhetoric in the English Parliament, um, and uh, maybe it was, no, it was, it was uh, I think it was Disraeli. Anyhow, it doesn't matter, um, except for truth, but this is a literature class. Um, and uh, someone said, does the gentleman think that he will end up dead of the pox or on the gallows? So it's not only today that you get wild um, rhetoric in um, parliamentary debates. And Israeli answered, that shall depend, sir, on whether I embrace your morals or your mistress. Um, so gallows, if I embrace your morals, well, you see where it's going. Um, so that's Zoikma, um, or a famous moment of, in Pope. Um, the young ladies are, or the sylphs are there to prevent young ladies um, at parties from staining their honor or a new brocade. Um, or Queen Anne does sometimes counsel take and sometimes tea. Um, so it's where you use one, it doesn't have to be a verb, but the most typical and most effective versions are where you use one verb with two different direct objects, especially if one direct object is literal, wetting your scythe, and one is figurative, wetting your woes. So making both sharper, but one is literally sharper, one is figuratively sharper. While thus he threw his elbow round, depopulating all the ground, and with his whistling, whistling scythe does cut each stroke between the earth and root, the edged steel by careless chance did into his own ankle glance, and there among the grass fell, fell down by his own scythe the mower moan. So there again, that's a little bit like the garden. Alas, said he, these hurts are slight to those that die by love's despite. With shepherd's purse and clowns all heal, the blood I staunch and wound I seal. So those are herbs that he can use to um, stop the bleeding. Only for him no cure is found, whom Juliana's eyes do wound. Tis death alone that this must do, for death thou art a mower too. So, I mean, yeah, couldn't be better. Okay, here is your um, quizlet exam, exam it. Um, two sides, don't just do one side and think you'll pass. Um, it should really only, all your answers should be on the sheet of paper. Put your name on the paper. 
This should take you 10 minutes. Um, that's only one side. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Oh, that's because it's mine. Okay, that's fine. It's because it's the original. So, um, write only a sentence and guess and argue if you don't know. Make it plausible. Do you want this? No, you don't. Just for fun. Yeah, bye. No, write on the sheet. I need lines, though. I